Uh, if you've got a Bible this morning, Revelation chapter 5 is where we're going to be, and uh, we're going to keep working through this chapter. Uh, we'll get through it eventually, uh, I think next week. I, I was planning on finishing Revelation chapter 5 this morning. The more I dug, the more I was like, you know what, let's just, let's just slow down and let's just take another week. And, uh, and so, yeah, we'll, we'll get done when the Lord sees fit. And so uh, we're in a series, a mini-series in the book of Revelation called, Who is Worthy?, and, and as Revelation chapter 5 unfolds, you know, John has, has given us an amazing experience. He's walked us through, uh, in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, these seven churches uh, that, that taught us a lot about church history and, and prophetically points to the tribulation. In Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1, there was a door in heaven opened, and John was caught up, if you will. He was raptured into the very throne room of God. And, and he saw some amazing things, and, and chapter 4 details all the things that he saw and all the things that he heard, and we preached through that extensively. And then in chapter 5, as John is still in the throne room of God, there's this, this creation-wide search for someone that's worthy to open a special book, the seven-sealed book that's in the hand of him that sits on the throne, man. Whatever that book is, and we, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, there was no one found in heaven or earth or under the earth worthy to open this book, and it caused such a, an uproar that, man, John was weeping. John was weeping because no one was found worthy, and we talked about how whatever that book is, it has something to do with God's judgment on the earth, it has something to do with God's day. It has something to do with Jesus Christ getting the kingdoms of this earth and ruling and reigning over them because we can read Revelation 6 and 7 and 8 and 9 as we see that book is, is unfolded. And so, and so John is broken because no one is found worthy. And then out of the midst of the people that are in heaven, there's one that stands, the Lord Jesus Christ, right? The Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, the Lamb as it had been slain. And all of a sudden, man, there's this, this overwhelming rejoicing because the one who is worthy is found. And, and again, I'm just trying to catch us up to speed of what's happening in Revelation chapter 5. We, we walked through the threefold worthiness of Christ a couple of weeks ago and, and how because he's the line of the tribe of Judah, he's worthy to open the book. And because he's the root of David, he's worthy to open the book. And because he is the lamb that was slain, he opened, he's worthy to open the book. And, and we noted that, that for the first time since Acts chapter 7, Jesus Christ stands at the right hand of God. And, and when Christ stands in the Bible, something significant is about to happen. And, and again, man, I'm just, I wish I had time to preach that message again. I don't. But, but, but Christ now stands and he's about to, to, to execute his judgment on the earth and assume his rightful place in the throne of his authority. And then we saw the, the possessions of the one that stood. The Bible talks about Christ having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God. And again, Christ is, is, is all authoritative. He's omnipresent. And, and, and because he possesses those things, he's worthy to open the book. And so this morning, we're going to pick it up and verse 8, and again, man, the intro is kind of hard uh, to get all of that in there, but, but verse 8 is where we're going to start this morning. We're going to get down to around verse 10 today, and uh, that'll be enough for, for this morning. This morning, we're going to talk about the worship and the praise of the one who's worthy, and uh, what happens after 
the one that's found worthy to open the seal, once he's discovered in heaven above, man, something awesome happens. There's this praise and worship session that begins. Pick it up in verse 8 with me. The Bible says, And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song. But you know they weren't Baptist, right? I mean, I mean, whatever. Okay, they sung a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou, art, thou was slain and has redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. And has made us unto our God kings and priests. And we shall reign on the earth. And so, and so this morning we want to talk about the praise of the one who is worthy. And that's your first blank this morning, the praise of the one who is worthy. And can I just tell you that when you find the one that's actually worthy, well, the only biblical response is biblical praise and worship. Like when you recognize that Christ is worthy, and in this scenario, he's worthy to open that seven-sealed book, man, the only response to the one that is worthy is biblical praise and and worship. And so this morning, I want to just very quickly walk us through the praise and worship service that happens in heaven above. And, you know, we have an amazing worship pastor that teaches us about biblical praise and worship, and, and he does a great job. And uh, man, listen, I'm, I'm not the praise and worship pastor, but I'm telling you, we're going to learn some things about worship that will help us today. We're going to learn some things about biblical praise that will help us today. And so number one, get your notes ready, because we need to understand the position that's associated truly with praise and worship, the biblical position associated with praise and worship. Look at verse 8. It says, when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders, the Bible says, fell down before the Lamb. And I want you to understand this morning that biblical praise and worship has a very specific position. Now, when we talk about biblical praise and we talk about biblical worship, man, let me, let me take that back. When we talk about praise and worship, there's a lot of things that we could, we could read into that context. Re- raising hands, loud voices, shouting, dancing. You saw that on the, uh, that, that freaked some of you out. I know. You're like, oh my gosh, are they dancing? And they, they're singing too. And, and that was a new song because you had never heard it. And you don't have the gift of tongues, so you don't even understand. I mean, the Vance family understood was being said. The rest of you, maybe Colin may have, you know, because Colin can learn language apparently in like two weeks. So, but for the rest of us, you know, I, I got no clue what they were saying. And, and, and we think praise and worship and we think shouting and dancing and lifting hands and all those different things. But can I just tell you, when we study the Bible, there's a very specific position associated with praise and worship. Genesis chapter 24, when you, when you study the word worship, for instance, in the Bible, and, and this is not the first mention, but there is a connection with worship and this position. Genesis 24 and verse 26, this servant of Abraham that was tasked to take Isaac a wife, the Bible says in Genesis 24 and verse 26 that the man bowed his head and worshiped the Lord. It was a, it was a position of submission. It was a position of reverence. He bowed his head and worshipped. If you skip down to verse 48, same, same passage, he says, I bowed down my head and worshipped the Lord and blessed the Lord God of my master Abraham. 
which led me in the right way to take my master's brother's daughter unto, unto his son. So, so there is a, a, a position of worship that I think we miss many times because we don't have a biblical understanding of worship and a biblical understanding of praise. You see, when we study the Bible, anyone that ever worshiped God rightly humbled themselves before him. They bowed themselves to the earth. Genesis 24 and verse 52, it came to pass that Abraham's servant heard their words. He worshiped the Lord, bowing himself to the earth. Again, Exodus 4, verse 31. I don't even know if that one's on the screen. Yeah, it is. Uh, the people believed they heard the Lord had visited the children of Israel, that he had looked upon their affliction, and they bowed their heads and worshiped. Job, someone who knew something about tribulation and suffering, yet, yet maintaining a right relationship with God. Job arose, he ran his mantle. After he lost everything, he shaved his head, and he fell down upon the ground, and he worshiped. And so listen, we need to understand that it's biblical to fall down at Christ's feet. It's biblical to fall down at Christ's feet. As a matter of fact, that is the position biblically of worship. It's reverence, it's submission, it's yielding to the one who is worthy. And listen, even in the third heaven, man, when the one who is worthy has been revealed to open that seven-sealed book, those four beasts and those 20 and four elders, the Bible says, fell down. They, they fell down before him. And, and listen, in Christ's earthly ministry, over and over again, people position themselves on their face at his feet. That is the right position of worship. Listen, it started at his birth. Matthew chapter 2 and verse 11, right? We just came off Christmas a couple of weeks ago. Seems like forever ago, right? But it's only been a few weeks. And, and listen, even at Christ's birth, as we celebrated this, when, when those people came to Christ and saw him, it says in Matthew 2 verse 11, when they came into the house, the wise men, they, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down. And they worshiped him and they opened their treasure and they presented to him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So even in Christ's earthly ministry, from the beginning of his ministry, all through his earthly ministry, people that truly understood who he was and they worshiped him. And the way that they worshiped him was they positioned themselves at his feet. Mark chapter 5 and verse 33, it says the woman, this would be the woman that had the issue of blood for, for 12 years, and, and she touched Christ's garment, and, and she was healed immediately. The Bible says the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done unto her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And listen, that, that is something reserved only for the one who is worthy. And Christ never refused worship from anyone, both Old Testament and New Testament. I mean, when Christ showed up in the Old Testament, when people bowed and positioned themselves at his feet, he received their worship. In his humanity, he received their worship. In heaven above, at the throne of God, when he takes the book, he receives worship. We have to understand there is a biblical position of worship. And I got to thinking about this, you know, many of you know, I worked in physical therapy for a number of years, and that's just part of my life that won't go away. And so, uh, you know, there's just constant things that come into my mind that, that, that 
take my secular job that I had for so many years. And, and I got to thinking about this. I was like, well, it's very interesting. When you talk about bowing your head and, and positioning yourself at someone's feet, for instance, if you're going to bow all the way to the ground, the first thing that's going to move is your head. I mean, we even saw that in the Bible, right? People bowed their head and they worshiped God, right? They, they bowed before the Lord. And, and it's very interesting that wherever your head goes, the, the body's going to follow. So my, my seven-year-old is, is on, uh, we, we take her to swim a couple of times a week. And so I've been taking her the last couple of weeks and, and watching her swim laps and, and doing this thing. And, and it's just really cool to watch her swim. And she's learning all these different strokes. And one of the things I've noticed about her swimming is that, you know, they teach her during the strokes or whatever to turn to get air and, and try to do it like mid-stroke and then keep going so that you can be fast and compete. And I've noticed my daughter, when, when she turns her head, if she goes a little too far, her whole body will actually do a flip in the water. Like she's swimming and she's trying to get air, but if she just goes a little too far and she can't control it, her whole body follows and she's kind of doing this spiral thing down the, it's kind of weird. It's like a weird little missile going down the, you know, she's fast and she can breathe and it's fun watching her. But every now and then I'll see her flip over and I asked her about it. I was like, Hey, what, what, what's, what's doing that? What's causing that? And she's like, I don't know. I just turned my head and, and my body just kind of follows. And I was like, you know what? That's a really, that's, that'll preach. Thank you for the sermon material. Uh, because, because, because if you're going to worship God, I mean, it starts with bowing your head. And, and listen, there, there's, there's something that moves your, your head, and we'll get to it in a second, but, but man, your head's connected to your neck. And if you're ever going to worship God in the right position, well, you've got to start by bowing your head. And even if you don't do it externally, and I think you should do it externally, you ought to do it in your heart, in the sense that your person is yielded to the person who is worthy. Get this key in your notes. I got my, my things out of, out of line here, but let me just give you the blank so I can get to the next part. Look, the biblical position of praise and worship, when, when, when Christ sees us yield ourselves before him, he, he actually he sees that and it pleases him. The biblical position of praise and worship can be seen by God. Listen, Christ in heaven above saw those four beasts. He saw those four, four and twenty elders falling down before him. And by the way, he sees it in our life too. Or he doesn't, because we don't. And, 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 so, and so here's the thing that I know about the human body, which there's a great spiritual application. The thing that will keep any of us from bowing down to the Lord in a hard attitude of worship is a stiff neck. It's a stiff neck, because your head will never be bowed unless you've got a neck that can move. And listen, that's the only thing that can turn. And again, I don't want to bore you with all the anatomy. I know i got some nurses in here that can give me some amens, but, but you have some vertebrae in your neck. You have seven of them. And those vertebrae are what your head sits on top of, specifically C1 and C2. And all of your motion in your head really comes from your neck. And so if you're going to bow your head, you have to have a neck that's willing to yield. And you think about this for just a second, man. Everything that's in your head, your eyes, your ears, your mouth, your nose, all of these sensory input things that God has given you, they're all dependent on a neck that can turn. 
And so, and so normal range of motion for a human neck is about 90 degrees either way. And if you can turn, some of you right now are like, man, my neck's kind of stiff. Well, if you brought, brought your insurance card, we'll treat you after, after church today. Take your copay, give you some stretches, and send you on your way, right? So, 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 so you have about 90 degrees, you know, a full right angle of, of rotation. Some of you don't. I'm watching you right now. You're like, I can't even. And so when you're at the grocery store backing out, you're a danger to everyone, okay? <laughs> so I just, you know, I'm going to, I've already noted who can't turn their neck and hope I never run into you on the road, so... Yeah, your neck also has about 90 degrees of, of what's called flexion, bending. And, and I think God gave you that much motion. By the way, those are the two most range of motion movements you have in the human body, in the neck. Rotation and flexion. About 90 degrees, 80 to 90 degrees each. Why did God give us that? Because God wanted to teach us a lesson. Because if we don't have a neck that's willing to yield... We'll never submit ourselves before him. And you know what's interesting when I read the Bible? There's this phrase called stiff-necked that shows up all the way through the Bible. And it's very interesting to me that it's always used in a negative context. Christ tells the nation of Israel in 2 Chronicles 30 and verse 8, Now be ye not stiff-necked as your fathers were, but yield yourselves unto the Lord. You see, you see, God knows that if we stiffen our neck, we'll never truly worship Him the way He is worthy of worship. We'll never bow our head. Listen, we may even sing a song, we may clap our hands, but true worship is not happening because we haven't yielded ourselves to him. Acts 7 and verse 51, again, Stephen preaching to the nation of Israel, he says, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised and hardened ears, you do always, here's the word, resist the Holy Ghost. As your fathers did, so do ye. You know, my pastor back home at my home church, Decatur Baptist, we had a pastor for many, many years there, Brother Doug Ripley, amazing preacher, amazing teacher of God's word, and, and his his, his thing was horses. He liked horses, you know. Uh, he was all into horses and Tennessee walking horses and things like that. And one of the things that he talked about was, you know, this, this horse is an amazing animal. It's huge. It's powerful. It's majestic. They put a bit in that horse's mouth to, to steer that horse's neck. You say, well, the bit goes in its mouth and it's turning its head. Well, that head don't turn without a neck. And, and even a powerful animal like that can be, can be controlled and, and led if he's just willing to loosen his neck. Man, I think about us as Christians. I think sometimes as Christians, there, there's an, an aspect of worship and praise that we completely miss out on because we don't yield ourselves truly to submitting ourselves to Christ. Listen, he alone is worthy. But you and I have to make a conscious decision to bow our, our neck, man, to humble ourselves before him, to fall down at his feet. And that's the only position of a worshiper, can I just tell you. you. You can't worship without bowing down. You can't worship without yielding yourself. You can't truly give God the glory and God the praise that he's due when you resist and don't yield to his leading. And so the first thing we learn out of Revelation chapter 5 is, man, there is a position of worship. And it starts with surrender. It starts with a bow. It starts with humility before the Lord 
at His feet. And I hope this morning that as we sang these songs and we entered into the very throne room of God, your heart was such that you already positioned yourself there. If you didn't, you missed it. You missed it. Now, you might have sang. You might, have, you might not have. You might have sang, but man, you didn't worship. You didn't worship because worship has a right position. And, and, and we learn from those 24 elders and those four beasts, that is the place, that is the position that every child of God ought to be because, because only he is worthy. I mean, listen, only he is worthy. Number two, let's go quick. Go back to verse 8. We're going to see the playing associated with praise and worship. The Bible says that every one of those guys had harps. And, and, and just for the record, right, this isn't like the, 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 the thing on the toilet paper. These aren't naked angels with wings with harps floating on clouds, right? Isn't there a brand of toilet paper with that? Or am I just imagining that? I don't know. Okay. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> Listen, that is the imagery, right? Hey, when we die, we're all going to be in heaven. For whatever reason, there's no clothing, but we have wings and a cloud and a harp. I mean, that's just the silly imagery that, that we get. And yet, and yet, these are 24 elders. These aren't angels. And, and all of these dudes have harps. And so, and so all of a sudden now, now, there are some people, our brothers and sisters in Christ, and maybe another ilk, that they are already upset with this because that means there's musical instruments even in heaven. How could God do that? Well, listen, music is something that isn't just reserved for us on this earth. John is in the third heaven, and sorry to break it to you, there's instruments there. Sorry to break it to you. And, and listen, here's what I know. God cares about music, and he's even pleased by it. He's even pleased by it. And, and I want to take you all the way back to Ezekiel 28. Because, man, listen, at the beginning of creation, God created this special being called Lucifer. And before Lucifer fell, Lucifer was, was an anointed cherub. Listen, he was the, the worship leader of all the angelic hosts. The Bible says in Ezekiel 28, verses 12 to 13, that, that concerning Lucifer, man, he was covered head to toe in all these precious stones. He reflected and ref, refracted God's glory throughout the universe and it says he also had tabrets and pipes. And those tabrets and pipes were prepared in the day that that was created. And, and he was able to lead the sons of God in the praise and worship of God. You see it in Job chapter 38, verses 4 to 7. I mean, listen, when, when God is, is dealing with Job, God begins to ask Job some questions that Job can't answer. You, you know it's a good question, right? <laughs> Like if God's asking it, it's like, ugh, Jesus. I mean, I don't know. That's the only answer, right? <laughs> That's the only answer. Verse, verse 4, he's asking Job, where was thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? That's interesting. The earth has foundations, right? Declare if thou hast understanding. Who hath laid the measures thereof if thou knowest? Who hath stretched the line upon it? So he's talking about creation, right? Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? Who laid the cornerstone thereof? Listen, when the morning stars sang together and the sons of God shouted for joy. And many of you know the story, man. Lucifer, before he fell in his pride and rebellion before God, man, he was the worship leader for all the heavenly hosts to bring glory and honor and praise to the one who's worthy. And he did it in a body that certainly was beautiful, and he did it with a body that had instrumentation. 
I think Brother Bobby said it last week, you know, somebody was talking about drums being of the devil, you know, you can't have drums in a church. Were you guys here for that last week when he was talking about that? And then, uh, you know, somebody sat down at the drums and started singing like, you know, a hymn or, or a Christian song and giving God the glory, and all of a sudden an instrument can be used to give God glory. Uh, so, 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 man, listen, can I just tell you, God is pleased with music. God, God cares about music. We see it all the way through the Bible. And, and listen, What's happening in Revelation 5, I think, is significant because, listen, when Lucifer fell, that, that, that worship leader fell, that instrumentation fell, and, and listen, the sons of God that sing now and bring God glory now are his children on the earth, those of you that are saved. And we have things like drums and guitars and, and, and things like that, and I'm thankful for that. Listen, can I just tell you that in Revelation 5, I think something happened that probably hadn't happened since Lucifer fell. That there's worship and praise with instruments before the throne of God. And, and if that's the case, and if that's the first time that that's happened since Lucifer fell, and what an amazing experience. And listen, Christ is worthy of that. Christ is worthy. And, and again, I have a, a whole lot in here about harps and and I wish I could share it with you all, but we don't have time. You find the first mention in Genesis chapter 4, this man named Jubal. The Bible says that he was the father of such that handled the harp and the organ. And this dude was, was, was the lineage of Lamech, who was kind of a messed up dude. He took two wives. God didn't ordain that, and yet he took two wives. And so this, this boy, Jubal, became the father of such that handled the harp and the organ. And yet, even from wrong beginnings... A harp can be used to bring God glory. There's nothing inherently evil with an instrument. As a matter of fact, you see this thing playing out between David and Saul. Do you guys remember the story? Saul was the, the king that had been rejected because of his rebellion against God. God allowed an evil spirit to torment him. And the Bible says in 1 Samuel 16 and verse 23, it came to pass when the evil spirit from God was upon Saul that David took a harp and he played it with his hand. And Saul was refreshed, and he was well, and the evil spirit departed from him. I think, I, think, I think we miss the power of praise and worship sometimes. You know, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 and 19 tells us that we're not to be drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but we're to be filled with the Spirit. Listen, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And there is a, a spiritual effect of what we do at the beginning of every service. It's spiritual. Now, some of you hadn't figured that out yet. You think it's just playing an instrument, singing a song, going through the motions, it's a performance, on key, off key, it doesn't matter. But I'm telling you, there is power in praise and worship. David understood it, and Saul understood it, Saul was an observer of praise and worship, but David was a participant in it. And maybe your evil spirit still hadn't left you because you just won't sing. I don't, I don't know. There's power. It's spiritual. It's pointed at a person. Well, I just don't like the song. Well, we didn't send an email asking. We're not singing to you. We're not singing for you. The only benefit is for you to position yourself before the Lord. 
so that you can worship him. Well, I, I don't know that song. I don't, I don't know if you've seen, we have these two monster screens in our room, and they have words on them. And those words are in English. And you don't even have to have the gift of tongues or, or interpretation or translation to understand that. And, and yeah, you may be at a little slow reading, and maybe you need to move to the front row. I've noticed it's kind of empty. But they're right there. We want to help you as much as we can. But at some point, you've got to participate. You see, there's something spiritually missing in many of our lives because we are an observer of praise and worship. The truth is we aren't participants in praise and worship. Man, that harp that David used, by the way, that harp was in the hand of a king. I think Cody said this a couple of weeks ago when he preached, man, David, David could wield a sword pretty effectively. He could also wield a musical instrument pretty effectively too. He, he, he was truly a man of God that could wield both. And listen, there is something special about that harp. Can I just tell you, and again, I got a lot more, but we don't have time. Can I tell you, here's the key. When we play instruments before the Lord in praise and worship, they can be heard by God. It's something that God himself hears. And listen, some of you serve on this worship team and you're a part of this ministry that, 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 that is able to lead us in praise and worship. You need to understand that when we practice and we play, we are praying to the Lord. We're playing to the Lord. He is the one that hears it. He is the audience and no one else. He's the audience. And man, listen, I'm telling you, on beat, off beat, it doesn't matter. It's for him. It's to him. And it's pleasing to him. We get to do something that, that Lucifer, as the original anointed cherub, leading the sons of God to, to praise and give God the glory, we get to participate in something that spiritual. And man, we miss it. Let me tell you how we miss it. While it's going on, we decide it's time for coffee. While, while it's going on, it's time for a donut. While it's going on, all of a sudden, we haven't done due diligence, and so now we have to go to the bathroom. We have no clue. We, we haven't positioned ourselves, and so because of that, we, we don't appreciate what's actually being played before the Lord. Are we Okay. And God is receiving something that we're offering Him for His glory's sake. Number three, the prayers associated with praise and worship, verse 8. So in this worship service, man, there, there's, there's the right position. There's the right instrumentation. Number three, there are prayers associated with praise and worship. The Bible says, and there were golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And, and, and so listen, shocking Saints are, are supposed to pray, and they're supposed to pray prayers, plural. And man, if you're as smart as that, you can be a preacher too. I'm just telling you, it's not that hard. Listen, the last time you prayed, if it was the time you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have prayed a prayer, but God wants you to pray prayers. He wants you to, to have a relationship with Him through your words, 
The psalmist said in Psalm 141 and verse 2, verses 1 and 2, Lord, I cry unto thee, make haste unto me, give ear unto my voice when I cry unto thee. Let my prayer be set before thee as incense and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. And man, can I just tell you that, that many times we, we don't understand and we undervalue and underappreciate the power of prayer as it relates to worship and praise. But as I study the Bible, man, God has a lot to say about, about prayer. He has a lot to say about corporate prayer. Acts chapter 2, man, the early church at Jerusalem, those that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day they were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in the breaking of bread and prayers. That was a church. You say, well, I do that at home. Do you? I, I, I mean, maybe you do. I do know in Luke chapter 19, verse 46, that Christ said, my house is the house of prayer. But you've made it a den of thieves. And, and I don't know, man. Here's why I don't know that we really understand that is because, man, Wednesday night, we're pretty slim on prayer meeting night. And I'm not trying to guilt you. I'm trying to help, help us understand the power of prayer. That, man, if we want to be worshipers of God and, and literally praise God biblically, well, part of that is our prayer life, not just individually, but corporately, these 24 elders were corporately together and they had the prayers of the saints. Let me just ask you a question, man. Would your prayer life be able to fill up a vial, however big a vial is? Would you have enough substance and evidence in your prayer life to actually have something to offer? And listen, God views prayer of the saints as incense before the Lord. Man, that pleases Him. It's pleasing when you spend time before the Lord in prayer, both personally and corporately. And so get this key in your notes, man. Biblical prayers, the biblical prayers of praise and worship can be smelled by the Lord, man. And you say, that's kind of weird. Well, it's kind of biblical. It's an incense. You know how it is, man. I mean, you're, we were talking about the Chris, Chris and I were talking before, before service, and he's like, man, just think about the power of smell. You know, sometimes we can, I can walk out these front doors and like, you know, stakeout is across the street, right? You might know stakeout. I have them all. I have their number stored in my cell phone. It's like on speed dial. And so I walk out the door and if the wind is just right, man, I mean, the steak tips, the smoke of the steak tips and the pork chops it just blows right down on here and I'm like man I'm craving some steak out and it's just magic I pull it out boom there it is they got my number they got all my orders saved Jay would you like to repeat your last order yes ma'am <laughs> there's why because you can sm it's an incense man it, it moves you and man prayer moves God it moves God and, and again we could talk about all the different people in the Bible who who got a hold of God, and because of their prayer life, and because of their humility before God, they, they, they entreated the Lord, and the Lord moved on their behalf, right? It's pleasing to God, man. We miss it many times, because we don't understand the power of it. 
But man, in heaven above, in this worship service, there's these vials full of odors that are the prayers of the saints. I don't know how to pray. Then come on Wednesday night. The way you learn how to pray is by praying. You know, we have a lesson in discipleship called prayer. It would make sense that after that lesson in discipleship that, that we would begin actively praying. That's adding virtue to our faith, right? Not that we just know what prayer is, but we actually participate in it. Okay, and then, and then we've got to go quickly. Lastly, the, the proclamation of praise and worship. The proclamation of praise and worship. And, and so look at verse 9, and again, we'll, we'll wind it down here. But the Bible says that they sung a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation and has made us unto our God kings and priests. We shall reign on the earth. And so, man, we got to talk about this new song. As you, as you study that phrase, new song, throughout the Bible, it's only found in the book of Psalms, the book of Isaiah, in the book of Revelation, and I don't have all the references on the screen, but I do want to give you a few of them. Psalm 33 and verse 1, the psalmist says, Rejoice in the Lord, O ye righteous, for praise is comely for the upright. Praise the Lord with the harp. Sing unto him with the psaltery and an instrument of ten strings. Sing unto him a new song. Play skillfully with a... What's that last part? I, I, say it again, I didn't hear you. Oh, okay. You weren't loud enough. Yeah, thank you. Okay, so, uh, man, uh, God says that we can sing unto him a new song, and it can even be with a loud noise. And so, and so, man, he's worthy of that. Listen, if God has done anything new in your life, and he has, well, he's worthy of a song. Man, he's worthy. I mean, just think about all the things that Christ has done and that we could sing about. Well, he saved me and that's all I got. You need to read the Bible, bro, because he's done so much more. <laughs> Psalm 40, verses 1 to 3, the psalmist says, I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined unto me. He heard my cry. Aren't you thankful that God hears our prayer? He brought me up out of the horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock. Anybody had that experience? Yeah, listen, God did that at salvation, but sometimes we end up back in the clay after salvation. We ended up muddied up, stuck in the mud, and yet God is able to raise us up, set us on a rock, a sure foundation, and establish our goings. And listen, when he does that, he put, my song in my, he put a new song in my mouth, even praise to our God. Many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. Psalm 144, verses 9 through 10, I will sing a new song unto thee, O God, upon a psaltery, upon an instrument of ten strings, I will praise unto thee. It is he that giveth salvation unto kings, which delivereth David his servant from the hurtful sword. I'm just telling you, man, there is something about a new song. And I'm thankful for the old songs, don't get me wrong. But every song represents something that God has done, an attribute that he's worthy of, or something that he's done in our life. And so listen, there is no shortage of songs that we should sing because of his worthiness. And so get this key in your notes. Biblical praise emphasizes Christ's worthiness. That's who the song is about. Man, he was slain for our sin. How many different songs can you sing about that? A lot. How many should we sing? All of them. 
if they are biblically based and according to the Word of God, preference, tempo, style, those are all peripheral things. And by the way, you just saw people in Kenya singing and praising and worshiping God in a way that you probably never will until you go on a mission trip. And by the way, it's right. It's right. And so is what we do. Because it's Christ's worthiness. We're praising Him. And then, and then secondly, biblical praise emphasizes every believer's gratitude. I mean, he tells us in the passage, and Christ has redeemed us to God by, the, by, the, by His blood out of every kindred and nation and people and, and nation, every kindred and tongue and people and nation. And there's a great missions message that we don't have time for. But can I just tell you that if Christ has redeemed you, if he's done anything for you and to you, you have something to sing about. And if he hasn't, don't. Go get the coffee and donut. Because you're not saved anyways. It bothers me. It bothers me and disturbs me that when our focus ought to be the one who is worthy, we can get so easily distracted with everything else. It makes me wonder if we're really saved. How could you go get a donut when we're singing to God Almighty? And some of you are going to get offended at that, and you may leave because of that, and that's okay. Maybe you'll get saved. And maybe you'll get biblical in your understanding of who is worthy. I don't have to have somebody twist my arm. I don't have to get Cody to rile me up to sing because he's redeemed me. He has washed me from my sin with his precious blood. He has saved me from an eternity in hell. He has sealed me with his Holy Spirit. He has given me his word. He has put me in his body. He has given me gifts to serve him. And he's given me a mission to accomplish. I got no problem singing to him. I got no problem bowing down to him. I got no problem making him the priority and the focus of my life. Because he saved me. Look at the verse. Not only did he save them, the Bible says that he made us unto our God kings and priests. And God made you something different. And again, man, there's a lot we could talk about. We don't have time. But, but can I just tell you, God not only saved you, but he made you something that you weren't. God says that we're, we have the opportunity to, to rule and to reign with Christ devotionally. There's absolutely an aspect of that. Christ is the king of kings, right? 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. It's a faithful saying, if we be dead with him... We shall also live with him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. And by the way, that word if is conditional. If we deny him, he will also deny us. And the context is the privilege of reigning with him. If we believe not, he abideth faithful. He cannot deny himself. Man, God made you something. He gave you opportunity. He gave you possibly a position in his eternal kingdom. And you had no chance of that in your lostness. God made you that. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says he made you a new creature. 
Old things are passed away. Man, God made you something. He made you a son of God. You ought to have something to shout about. Well, I'm not emotional. But we don't want you to be emotional. We do want you to be biblical. I'm not interested in emotion. And by the way, if you know me, you definitely know that statement's true. Like every person in this room missed an opportunity for an amen right there. I'm not really interested, personally, in emotion. But man, I know who Christ is, and it ought to, it ought to move me to proclaim some things with my mouth. And specifically, the praise and worship that he's due. Give the last two blanks and we're done. Man, our praise is directed to the person of Jesus Christ. You need to understand, we need to understand, man, when we have time together corporately and even in your own personal life, our praise is directed to a person. It's not a performance, it's to a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. And, and lastly, listen, our praise is heard by the Lord. It's heard by the Lord. Man, it, it's an opportunity to come before his throne and to express the worth that he truly has in our life. And man, listen, if we could understand that, well, it would change us. Amen. We, we wouldn't be just performers or observers or situationally unaware of what's happening. We would be focused on him. We would be focused on him. Let's pray together. Father, we need you this morning.